Jim, and when you're ready, okay. Well, we are delighted that you're here with us for our little gathering to discuss what the apostles devoted themselves to. It says in the book of Acts that the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And for those of us in the ministry and those of us who are elders, actually sometimes we get those things reversed. We are all about the ministry of the Word, but, but prayer and the ministry of the Word, and prayer preceding it. So I'm here today to repent of sometimes getting it backwards. And um, our guest is Scotty Smith, who was the founding pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church, Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville, and that's a church that was started with a few families, and they cultivated a worship culture. Isn't that a nice way of putting it? They cultivated a worship, and I would add, prayer culture, and the church just blossomed to about 4,000 people in seven years out of that. So even that's very instructive to us. If you own, if you're really hip like I am, you own some sort of digital device that has Kindle on it. Anybody ever heard of Kindle? Kindle is a reading program. And for $1.99, you can download Scotty's book entitled... Oops, I just entitled Everyday Prayers, and I just pushed past that, and, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful book. So, Everyday Prayers by Scotty Smith, $1.99, such a deal. I got it for free. Yeah, usually around just the end of the year between Christmas and uh, New Year's, they'll often just say, okay. Tell your people we're going to give it away free. So. Right. So what we're going to do after we open in prayer, what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to reflect out loud with us yourself and give us maybe three sentences about someone you know who is a woman or a man of prayer that, whose model encouraged you. And then what I want is to turn it over to Scotty, and he's going to talk about someone whose prayer life encouraged him. And as a disciple of this fellow, Scotty wants to just pass it on, okay? So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll, we'll get going. Our Father, we know that prayer is not just Sunday morning. It's not just weekday mornings. You desire constant companionship with us. And we pray that you would show us today, teach us today, encourage us today to be men and women who love to seek your face because you said, seek my face. We thank you for Scotty and already, Lord, I've had such good feedback about last night. And we pray that tonight and again tomorrow morning, there will be richness Praise, in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
So, before Scotty starts, get in your mind's eye or get in your mind the name of someone. There are probably multiple choices for you, but the name of someone who modeled for you what it means to be a, a man or a woman of prayer. Okay? You're not giving the talk. Now, Scotty's giving the talk. <laughs> all right? But, no, 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 I was looking around. But just give us three sentences. This is who, who he or she was, and here's something that I remember about their prayer life that really struck me. So, Tay, we'll let you start, and we'll just pass it right down. Okay. Um, I think for me is one of my grandfather uh, who passed away about a month ago or two months ago. And um, he is actually um, in, in prayer every morning on his knees, and not only in the morning, but throughout the whole day. Uh, and I think, um, you know, after he passed away, you know, he heavily prayed for me and my family because we're in, in, we're in, uh, we're in ministry. And I think as there's a some, some certain kind of emptiness that, you know, if someone has praying for you for such a long time, you know, and, and seeing them praying over, like, early in the morning, like, whenever I go visit them, I go to early morning prayer service with them at 5.30, and, and seeing them pray every morning and afternoon and evening and praying for their relatives and, and people that, who they know in ministry, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, a wonderful to, to see and to model after, you know, and with anything that they, they do. They, the first thing that they do is pray. You know, so I think that's one of the influence that I have received. Actually, I could say that uh, embarrass her, Nancy Young. <laughs> yeah, setting a very good example, always giving me books to read, trying to get me into Bible studies, to and you know just living the life of Christ and just following Him, and by setting a good example, that uh, she's really encouraged me to really reach out to the Lord. So. Yeah, no, and Bob, too. (laughs) I've known Nancy longer. (laughs) I also have to say Nancy and Bob Young, and to see them trusting their lives and their hardships to the Lord and trusting in him. And they set a perfect example. That's beautiful. Um, I could also say Bob and Nancy, but I won't, just to say something different here. (laughs) But it's really true, they are, so... Well, okay. I'll ask for a second. <laughs> um, there was a lady on a mission trip that I went to in 2005 to Honduras. And you know what? I cannot even remember her first name. But she had such an impact on me because she had such a humble prayer life that was so connected to the Holy Spirit. And the way she would pray was just so... You could tell it wasn't her praying. Her prayers were so led by the Holy Spirit. It, was, it just had such an impact on me. I'll never forget her even though I forgot her name. (laughs) Um, Two come to mind right away. My brother Hubert, when he prays, it's it's, like we'll we'll have a a gathering and and, uh, someone will ask Hubert to pray and say, well, of course I'm being asked to pray because everyone knows I I give the shortest prayers (laughs) because his, his, his prayers are so direct so conversational. He's talking to God, and uh, it's all there, and it's all there very, very in a very short manner. And it's done. It's just a conversation. He talks to God. Um, 
But his wife Mary, this goes back to the 60s. There are two prayers that I remember her doing, and I know some of you have heard me do this. And one was she was fervently in prayer, and she, was, she used the words, I'm, Lord Jesus, I'm needy and greedy. And then she went into what she was praying about for, her, for herself and her family. I'm needy and greedy. And that, you know, 50 years later is in my mind. You know, I'm needy and greedy. Total dependence. But the second thing she, uh, I learned from just, again, just observing, show me Jesus. Show me Jesus. So every time I come into this sanctuary, I want to show me Jesus. The person uh, that uh, comes to my mind right away is John Yenschko. <laughs> and um, Christine and I must have been coming to this church for maybe two weeks, three weeks. And John asked me to pray. And I says, whoa. You know, he had several people stand up during the uh, prayer time of the church. And each person prayed a specific thing that he asked. So that was the first time that um, I was really moved by God. And I started praying about it, that he would move in me as John kept after me and uh, in prayer. And... Uh, that has been a blessing to my life because uh, I have never prayed in a church until I came here. Yeah. Any other person that um, has been very dear to me when they pray is Roz Weiss in our church. I like the way she prays, and she's just such a godly woman and very sincere and touching your heart with her prayer. And... Uh, just bringing the blessings of God upon you. So those are the two people that have moved me in my life of prayer. Well, first I would say my parents. I don't ever remember my mom not praying. I mean, she didn't have a place like my dad did. It seems like she prayed all throughout the day. It was a running conversation. Sometimes you'd think she would be pr talking to herself and she was praying. But my dad had a place. He had a special chair in our living room and I would... As a child, I would watch him. He would have his Bible. He would be reading and praying and crying. And I remember asking him, Daddy, why are you crying? And he would just look to me and say, God is so good. <laughs> but the other person would be my husband because um, he outshines me in prayer. Very, almost every, even, every night, I'll be in bed and sleeping already even though we both got there at the same time. <laughs> and I have already slept a while, and I'll notice that he's not there. He's still on his knees praying. And <laughs> you didn't come to bed yet, so it would be you. <laughs> I'm not going to say Nancy. Uh. I guess there's a man, a couple, Al and Claire Bushing, who... We've known for many, many, many years, and um, they live over in Seacliff. And he asked me about two weeks ago, I called him up, and he said, how's your son Phil doing? And I said, he's doing great. And he says, you know, we, Claire and I have been praying for him every single day for years. And it's not that he's a great player, he's a prayer, he's a faithful prayer. And I guess that really impressed me. And I got to say, John Yenchko 
never forgets a name, the family, the kids, the relatives, the distant relatives. He knows every name of every family in the church. And he just has an ability to pray for everybody. And, and that is really great. Yes, yes. Why, you think I'm going Don't to talk pray. for a long time? <laughs> I'm not going to pray. <laughs> oh, I was sitting here trying to think of that. And when you mentioned Al, I thought of Sal, that we knew for many, many years ago. Probably, I don't want to say how many years ago. And from Bible Baptist, and when he used to pray, he prayed the heart of God. When he spoke in a Bible study, he spoke the heart of God. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody pray like that before. I used to just love to be in his studies and just see. I, I would just be drawn in. Um, of course, Scotty's prayers, I haven't heard you pray, but every day they minister to me incredibly. Uh, I would also say, John, um, your prayers minister to me the heart of God also. And I'm thankful for my husband who prays for me all the time. <laughs> Hello. Um, I can think of two women, um, like Elias. I think Roz has been really just a wonderful sister um, over the years. I mean, every time she prays, there's something just beautiful. There's a poetry to her prayer. Um, she loves the Lord. And, you know, she always praises him. And then and then prays for you in such a way that you just feel uplifted completely. Um, and I, I just, I love, I love it when Roz prays. Um, the other woman that I love um, when she prays is Karen Connolly. And Karen is not poetic, but Karen is someone if you, you know, she's so sincere when you talk to her and she asks you how you're doing. And if you're sharing something with her, she never says, I'm going to pray for you later. She stops right there. And she prays with you. And, you know, it's just beautiful because you can just feel, you know, feel your, um, your worries being lifted, you know, and someone else sharing that burden with you. And I, I, we've had a couple of ladies who, um, who've done that for me in church that, you know, they sincerely ask how you're doing. And when you share, they stop right there and pray with you. And I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, I would say um, David in, in the Bible, you know, I mean, just what a, a heart for God. And I mean, could you imagine dancing in, in front of the, you know, the, the covenant? And I mean, just, to, you know, who knows what people watching that were thinking and he didn't care. And just, I mean, you read the Psalms and say, oh, my goodness, I wish I could pray like that. Or I wish I had a heart like that. Um, and then the second, I would say, is in a slightly different way. Uh, it's watching someone grow a little kid, and it's my son, Jeremy. You know, he, he's only six, um, and that's a product of God answering my prayers and also this church. Uh, you know, I think this church has always done a tremendous job um, guiding and nourishing children uh, to love the Lord. And when I hear him pray, like I say prayers with him at night, and I hear him pray, and he has sincerity, the questions he asks, and like you listen to him and you know he gets it for a six-year-old. And, you know, some of that comes from home, but a lot of that comes from here. And, and it all comes from God. But uh, 
you know, so that's uh, just a blessing to, to witness. That's wonderful. I want to mention two people. I think they're both dead, but they who m mentored me in prayer. The first is a gentleman named E.M. Bounds, who wrote a book called Power Through Prayer. And his influence on me was frightening. He wrote a chapter that said, a little bit of praying is worse than no praying. Because a little bit of praying, he said, is make-believe and a salve on a maybe a troubled conscience. And he was talking about superficiality. And he, and the, way, he, the way he wrote nailed me as a young, I was a young believer at the time. And um, it's not that it's ever wrong to give short prayers or direct prayers. It's that mindset of sort of being shallow with God. The other person is on the positive side, Jonathan Edwards. Loved to pray because God was beautiful. And he taught me about the beauty of God. Jonathan Edwards always wrote about, often wrote about the beauty of all three persons of the Trinity. And that made me want to pray a lot because God is beautiful. So um, on your Kindle, you can download Scotty Smith's book, Everyday Prayers, 365 prayers. And then, of course, on his Facebook page, you can get a prayer from him every morning. And uh, I just want you to take advantage of that. It's a, it used to be free. It's $1.99 now, at least as of today. But, Scotty, we have little handouts. Uh, are there extras? One, uh, are they all gone? Kevin, we'll give one to Kevin in the back there. And, Scotty, let me turn it over to you Thank now. Thank you. What a joy to spend this uh, first of two hours this afternoon just reflecting on important things. Absolutely. Perfect. Wonderful. Um, John, you mentioned E and Bounds. Let me tell you a great story on him. Um, the city we live in, Franklin, Tennessee, which is just south of Nashville, beautiful area, the biggest battle in the entire Civil War was fought there. More American life was lost in three days than any conflict we have fought anywhere in the world. That's not something we're proud of. It's just a part of our city. But E.M. Bounds was the pastor of the first United Methodist Church of Franklin during the Civil War. And th there are three known documented revivals that have happened in Franklin, and one happened under his prayer leadership during the Civil War. And uh, remarkable. And the, uh, <clears throat> when we first bought our building in Franklin, when we planted the church, we bought an old Baptist church, and the chapel actually... It dated back to 1860s, and it was taken over by the Union soldiers during the Civil War to be uh, an infirmary. So a lot, a lot of history there. But Ian Bounds, um, amazing man that um, has a lot to say about prayer. Um, one image, then I'll go right to our outline because you see readily uh, the man that impacted really John and I both so very much. Jack Miller, I'll refer to him. But my first image of a praying life was um, as a young child through my maternal grandparents, my granny and Paul Paul Ward, W-A-R-D, that's my middle name, Scott Ward Smith. My maternal grandparents um, 
no strangers to suffering, had five children, the youngest of their five children. My aunt was a heroin addict for 10 years. Uh, There's something about people that have had deep heart pain that gives them a chance to really learn what it means to cry out to the Lord. And obviously, when deep heart pain, longing, and loss meets the gospel of God's grace, that's really the furnace for the kind of prayer life I think that I, I want to have more for my life. But when I would visit my grandparents uh, as a kid, we used to, they lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and each of the grandkids, we would get to go speak, spend a week with Granny and Papa, And uh, the kind of grandparents that lived to spoil you, you know, just uh, they were fun. But every morning at the breakfast table, they had one of those little plastic loaves of bread with Bible verses in it. And so their morning ritual, as I remember as a child, long before I came to know Jesus, they would each pull out a verse, read it, and then they would start praying by name for their children and grandchildren. And they would just weep these beautiful tears. And it's a lot of what some of you have shared. You know, uh, more of you have spoken of people that you're drawn... um, you're drawn to who they are in prayer, not necessarily the vocabulary of prayer, but, but just the reality. You know these people are meeting with the Lord. And uh, I think that image of my praying grandparents, uh, no doubt they prayed for me, number one, but I think uh, when, when God by His Spirit chose to reveal Jesus to my heart as a senior in high school in 1968 at a Billy Graham movie, I really look back and I would say, uh, humanly speaking, who do you know was really blasting the throne of grace for you? And it was my grandparents. And then after my mom was killed in a car wreck when I was 11 years old, their prayers meant so much. And just my grandmother would just pull me into her just good big grandmother chest and hold me and pray for me uh, after the death of her daughter, my mom. So uh, great heritage there for sure. Now, on your outline, I've got these five affirmations I want to make um, that I think will provide conversation for us as well because I don't see this as a lecture. And I certainly don't want you to get any impression just because I've written a book of prayers that I am um, whatever you might think of in terms of a prayer warrior, praying giant. Sometimes we put language on people that sets them up to, um, you know, uh, really it misrepresents them. And uh, I, I am... a I'm a desperate man that has found a very gracious God, and that's why I love to pray. But I learned that most expressly through my spiritual father of 21 years, a man named Jack Miller, again, someone you hear often about through this church, Jack and Rosemary Miller, very much spiritual parents of John Yinchko as well. Uh, My experience with Jack and how I learned about prayer from him and how it shaped everything I think about prayer, the way I taught our congregation to pray, how my wife and I pray, um, uh, here's what was really delightful. And this fits very much in the theme of our conference, this whole conference, as far as I'm concerned. All of our six gatherings are all about uh, the full extent of the love of Jesus. What, um, what, uh, how does Jesus love us? And what are the implications of that love? Well, um, I got to see that in Jack's life early on and how it completely uh, freed him to be a praying man. Uh, I started Westminster Seminary in 1975, and Jack was given to be my, um, my advisor. Went to Machen Hall. They give you these nice little cards as a new student and tell you that you're going to have a professor as your advisor. 
uh, I did not, never heard the name C. John Miller before. I knew Cornelius Van Til, uh, Richard Gaffin, Edmund Clowney, and I think I was hoping for one of the big bubblegum card guys. So I didn't know who Jack Miller was, so I went up into his office in Machen Hall, knocked on his door, somewhat disappointed because I didn't recognize his name, went in his office, and um, I'm, I'm a little over six feet, and Jack was about six, five feet six, kind of a, a gospel Yoda, kind of a short guy, but, uh, but I reached out my hand to meet him, and he undercut my hand and just pulled me into his chest and embraced me the first time I met him. And for the next 21 years of life, I got, I got to watch a praying life. Because his story, some of you know it. Let me give you a brief summary, then we'll look at these principles that I, I hope will help us as we think about our present and future as being a praying people. Um, <clears throat> I had Jack three years into his own personal gospel renewal. Here's a great story of a man that was a church planter and a, a professor at one of our most uh, august theological seminaries in America, Westminster Seminary. And Jack had resigned both positions because he had become um, really disgusted with self-righteousness, uh, that which he saw around him and that which he discovered to be true in his own heart. So he um, and his wife and I think five of their children spent a summer in Spain. Uh, Jack, Jack just basically saying, if the Lord doesn't meet me, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do because um, I'm both bored and boring and, uh, and I'm, I, I, the Lord must meet me. So uh, it's just one of my favorite stories. Jack went to Spain with Rosemarie and five of their kids and Jack just began to saturate himself in the promises of God. And out of that, a very theologically trained, a very hardworking Christian became a great lover of Jesus. Jack Miller did what John referred to with regard to Jonathan Edwards, who had such a significant role in our country in many ways. Arguably our greatest American philosopher, phenomenal man that showed us that Christians participate in the culture. Some of you would know this. Jonathan Edwards died of smallpox vaccination because he believed the gospel freed us to move into what God was doing for the common good. So he took a early smallpox vaccination died from smallpox but that was born out of a vision of the beauty of Jesus and uh, Jack Miller came back from that summer aware of the fact that um, and I used this language last night I'll use it again in a minute Jack uh, discovered that the gospel is not just a great theology it's not just a great lyric if we would think about a song in terms of a lyric and music Jack said, I, I knew the theology of the gospel. I knew what the Bible said a lot about God. But oh, when I discovered its music. When I really words, came... Exactly. Had the words, but didn't have the music. Had the, had the lyric, but not the melody. But Jack, during that summer, um, got to know the God that already knew him in a deeper, profound way. And so to have him in the class was really remarkable, just to see a man... Uh, perhaps offering some of the same lectures, but now born out of, out of a heart of having come to know the Lord in such a different way. And that really takes me really to the first of five affirmations uh, of, of what, uh, what I learned from Jack, saw in Jack, and learned from Jack about a grace-filled prayer life. Uh, I would say the first thing I would want to talk about briefly this afternoon is that um, <clears throat> a prayer life shaped by the gospel 
as opposed to a prayer life shaped by fear or guilt or self-righteousness. Prayer life shaped by the gospel is, is marked more by this. It's, it's praying to fellowship with your Father, not primarily, to, not primarily to get things from your Father. That will give you a chance to tell you about my background a little bit. So uh, before I became a Christian, I prayed. I mean, in the South, you assume you're a Christian unless you choose not to be one. That's just the world I was raised in. In fact, I grew up in a church that I often describe as church I grew up in wasn't liberal or conservative. It was just Southern. You just go to church. And uh, never been a day in my life I didn't think I was a believer. And that's a dangerous place to be in, right, if you assume you're something you're not. So I, I, I had... I, I, I prayed before I was uh, uh, someone that knew Jesus, knew his salvation for me. But I prayed superstitiously. I was afraid not to pray. And I did the now lay me down to sleep little prayer at night because I was really afraid. I don't want to wake up somewhere else, you know. So it was uh, like a rabbit's foot or something. And uh, I would pray, uh, making deals with God. Oh, God, get me out of this one. And I promised to do something that I would never do. But... So I, pr- I prayed, at least I thought I was praying. And then even after I became a Christian, uh, early on, my early education in prayer was more, uh, this is just what Christians do. Uh, and if you don't do it, there's probably negative consequences. You know, or my early Christian discipleship was not shaped by uh, the grace of the gospel, as y'all hear it week in and week out here at this wonderful church. Uh, my uh, prayer life, a lot of my spiritual disciplines were more based on uh, getting things from God. And prayer was first introduced to me was, number one, you better do this because God will be mad at you if you don't. Number two, if you're going to learn how to get your prayers answered, you better learn how to do it right. Now, unfortunately, one of the first introductions I had to prayer was that an answered prayer meant what? That God said yes. But as we'll talk about later, God has a broad vocabulary of answers, and they're all good. But that's born out of this first affirmation. Um, Jack was the first person that really showed me. Prayer is far more about fellowshipping with Abba Father than anything else. It's getting, it's being convinced by the Spirit of God working in your heart that Jesus loves you so much that he has won for you a relationship with, with uh, the, uh, the thrice holy God by which he calls you a son or a daughter, uh, a son or daughter in which he greatly delights. And we're going to talk about that delight tomorrow morning when we talk about coming alive to the love of Jesus. We're going to talk about that, the, the outrageous images that the Bible uses about God uh, singing to us and, and, and rejoicing over us and, and deeply, deeply delighting in us. See, the Spirit of God began to convince Jack that was true. And I think we'd all agree, you love to spend time with people that you sense they want you, they enjoy you, they welcome you, they love you, right? I mean, you can think right now, if, if, if you were to spend the rest of this Columbus Day weekend with, with uh, any group of people uh, pr- that you could choose, probably you would choose the people you, that you know you enjoy, but also they enjoy you. Well, I saw a professor in seminary. Um, it was obvious God enjoyed the Lord. It's obvious, excuse me, it's obvious that Jack enjoyed the Lord. But it was equally obvious that Jack experienced God enjoying him. And that was really profound to me. It wasn't emotionalism. It wasn't something worked up. I saw <clears throat> Jack Miller 
And I heard it in his voice. Jack Miller had the same timbre of voice as John. I've always envied John's voice. It, it carries without a microphone. I've got this very thin little voice. And, uh, but John has this timbre. And Jack as well had this great timbre of a voice that when you heard him pray, you thought he almost like, well, that's probably what God sounds like. There was just something so fatherly and endearing and inviting. So I would say for us, as we're talking about uh, where's the gospel going to take us, where's the gospel going to take this incredible church that I already love so much, just seeing you for just several hours now, uh, into prayer, uh, we will get to know the Father better. We will get to know the Father's heart for us better because of the finished work of Jesus, because of the full extent of the love of Jesus that shows us the Father. Um, Secondly, and this kind of uh, will pick up on a theme I've already mentioned, again, things I saw in Jack, and Jack taught me for a little over two decades. Um, Secondly, um, prayer is a means of preaching the gospel to your own heart, what I call the lyric, music, and dance of the gospel. Um, Jack wasn't the first person that talked about learning how to preach the gospel to your heart but he was certainly someone that made that language or that image far more understandable. And here's what he meant by that. Jack said, um, um, the, the, the more we see the Bible, uh, as Luther did, as the cradle of the Christ, the more we see the Bible as, as, a, as a primary revelation of the person and the work of Jesus, <clears throat> then as we do that, uh, we, we begin to read the Bible uh, with this uh, wonderful commitment to uh, realize... Uh, the wonder of the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Jack would say that uh, because the gospel is far more than just about going to heaven when you die, because the gospel is about learning to live long before you die, uh, we need more and more and more of the gospel. So Jack uh, taught us, his uh, mentorees, his protégés, his sons and daughters, how to preach the gospel to our heart through prayer, which would mean uh, you're, you're, you're learning to confront your own heart with what the Bible says is true. Now, we see that in Scripture. Uh, your name, is your name Michael? Is that right? Michael mentioned King David. And David does this like in Psalm 42 and some other places. David starts talking to himself. So why are you cast down? You know, Hope thou in God. There, there's a, there's a, a wonderful paradigm of our literally bringing uh, everything the Bible is saying to us about our triune God and uh, the riches of grace, bringing that to our heart, uh, praying those words, praying those very words back to God, and, uh, and, and, and what that looks like in terms of lyric, music, and dance, being from, you know, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Music City, USA, I have a lot of very uh, gifted songwriting friends. And a, and a career songwriter wants to write a song that has a lyric, music, and dance that work together, right? You want a good lyric that's, that's understandable, that people want to sing. You want to have it have the right melody so that it goes into the heart. You know, you can have a good lyric and a not-so-good melody that doesn't work as well. Or you can have a nice melody with a very poor lyric, and that song's not going to have much impact. But the gospel has a great lyric, a wonderful theology, and we're all theologians, right? We're learning more and more and more about Jesus. As that good news goes to our hearts, it leads to the dance of the gospel. Now, the dance of the gospel is two things, and this is also something we'll talk about tomorrow morning in the, in the corporate sermon in terms of revealing uh, the uh, love of Jesus to Oyster Bay and the nations. 
But the, the dance of the gospel is two things, and this is so wonderful when you see this heart connection in prayer. First of all, the dance of the gospel is our literally learning how to see ourselves in the story of Luke 15 of getting on the dance floor of the Father. You know, that's in that great story that I'm sure that John has preached so creatively in many different ways of, uh, of, the, of the pursuing Father, the Father that has a younger son and an older son, uh, um, an unrighteous hedonistic son and a self-righteous older son, someone that stayed on the premises but was a stranger to the promises. Well, the father pursued both to get them on his dance floor. Remember in the image, there's music, and even the older brother hears music, and there's a dance, and the older brother doesn't want to get on the dance floor. He just, uh, he begrudges the fact that the father would be so generous with someone that was so wasteful. And so number one, the dances are literally coming to learn more and more, uh, learn more and more good theology, uh, pushing out wrong ways of thinking about God, uh, having that uh, lyric become music in our heart, really knowing um, what the Bible talks about, like in Romans eight sixteen, when Paul says, God's spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of the living God, sons of God. Uh, but, but you see, that, that's not just an emotional experience. There's, there's movement, there's movement. And so the movement is really our moving further into that story, and that takes us to the second part of the dance. And I love this. The dance of the gospel is missional living and loving. Um, the more we come alive through prayer to the triune God, His beauty, His goodness, His grace, His story, the more we begin to think about, Lord, how do I live in that story? How do I stop giving you bit parts in my story? Uh, would it be difficult to put this picture on the screen right now, the God story up there, if you just put that, because the visual can, might help, and I can, I can demonstrate this to you, because, again, the painting that we put up last night on, from uh, God's story, that was born out of Jack discipling me and giving me a far bigger image of the, of the world and the story and the gospel. But, um, so the dance of the gospel, let me give you one verse, uh, if you want a great verse to hang uh, living missionally. Romans 6. Romans 16.20, I love this verse. At the end of the Roman epistle, the Apostle Paul's been writing to this group of house churches of men and women coming from so many different backgrounds, just, just like a North Shore Community Church. But he writes at the end of Romans, Romans 16.20, to this uh, very diverse church positioned in the Roman world, he says, and the God of all peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Let me, read, let me say that again. Romans 16, 20 in the NIV, I believe it is. And the God of all peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, what Paul wanted the believers in Rome to think about, and this is such a great way to pray. Talk about praying um, the lyric, music, and dance of the gospel. Where was the first time, where was Satan first crushed under feet? Golgotha, absolutely, Calvary. We know that when Jesus died upon the cross, Satan's head was crushed, right? Fulfilling this big promise God made. God made a wonderful first gospel promise in Genesis 3.15 that he, our God, would act in history to be a redeemer. And a part of that redemption would be that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, would crush the head of the serpent. Well, that took place at Calvary, John, Right? No, I want arms right now. Okay. 
That's good right now because we'll make a reference here because we want to learn to pray the whole story. And this is what Jack taught me. Um, but Romans sixteen twenty, and again, we're staying with point two here in terms of preaching the gospel to our heart, lyric, music, and dance. So uh, a great theme of hope in Romans sixteen twenty, when Paul says to believers in Rome and believers in Oyster Bay, and the God of all peace, the God of all shalom, will soon crush Satan under your feet. That is a beautiful picture, dear friends, of, uh, of Paul saying, our labors in the Lord are not in vain. I had a, I've had such an un... It's been, almost been like a retreat living this, you know, 24 hours with Elias and Christine. Just wonderful to hear their story and, 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 and the beauty of the gospel at work in their home. But we, we were talking about how we live in a world right now where where a lot of our friends get far more nervous and fearful about things in the world. And, uh, and uh, it's not that we should be immune or not concerned about difficult things in the world. But a biblical perspective is going to say to us always, and this is what we really learn and regain through prayer, things are not as they appear. They really are not. Um, I, I don't need to have one more... Uh, 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 tragic picture or report of a beheading uh, in a part of the world. I don't need to hear one more about, you know, the, if, if you simply let social media or the newspapers or 6 o'clock news shape the way you think about the world, invariably you're going to conclude things are getting worse and worse and worse. Now, I'm not here to debate how bad things are or will be, but the Bible calls us to understand there is a story afoot. There's a throne in heaven, and it is occupied. And, 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 uh, and we, that third panel up there, the third panel speaks of a redemption. It's what uh, theologians refer to as the already and not yet. Already the kingdom of God has come. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, has crushed the head of the serpent. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and he did that. We live on this side of D-Day, but we also live on this side of V-Day. We live between D-Day and V-Day. The end of the story, the, the fullness of God's story and every promise he has made um, is secure. And so when Paul was writing to believers in Rome, the God of Shalom is going to crush Satan under your feet. It was his way of saying, you live in a very decadent world. You live in a world right now where even some of your brothers and sisters in Jesus are being put to death by the crazy Caesars. You need to understand the God of all pieces at work. Things are not as they appear. That is the primary theme that runs through the entire book of Revelation. That's why I want to preach one of those great visions from the book of Revelation tomorrow morning in our, in our pre-communion celebration. Uh, we need gospel sanity. Jack taught me, he said, Scotty, prayer will bring you back to gospel sanity. Uh, you know, when Adam and Eve fell, they fell on their head and they haven't thought right since. So we pray to remember this is truth uh, because there's a lot of voices that are coming at us in different directions. We know that even Satan himself is presented in the Bible as the thief, the robber, the liar, right? So there's, there's always some way uh, by which we're being shaped to view the world. So number two of five, as I hasten on here, um, prayer is getting to know our Father better through the finished work of Jesus. Prayer is learning how to bring the gospel to bear. Uh, it's good news, it's story, it's power to your own heart. 
Thirdly, I learned from Jack, and this, you know, these aren't five entirely distinct categories, but three, I learned from Jack how to pray the Scriptures wearing the lens of the gospel. And then that led to the book that um, John has referenced, and I never, I never planned to write a book on prayer. Uh, I know, I think it's kind of an arrogant thing for someone to write a book on prayer. It's almost like I am a prayer warrior, learn from me. That is not me. I started writing prayers. I shared with a few friends, and then next thing I know, people wanted those prayers, and that, that, you know, that ministry continues to this day. It's how I start every day, uh, early in the morning, praying a scripture out of real need. But, but Jack taught me, he said, Scotty, l- learn to pray wearing the lens of the gospel so that um, you're not just praying the gospel to your heart. You're doing that, but you're also beginning to think gospel. And by gospel, he really meant the whole story. Here's what, here's what Jack taught me. Think about that fourth panel for a minute. I mentioned last night that uh, in that fourth panel, uh, that really represents the summary of where the Bible says all of history is going. That fourth panel, if you were to see the original, the, the sky is bluer than any of the other panels. In fact, the Bible doesn't say we're trying to get back to Eden. No, that was James Taylor and Johnny Mitchell saying we're trying to get back to the garden. That was Crosby, Stills, and Nash, not God. Uh, but uh, we're not trying to get back to the garden. The garden was always a preview of coming attractions. So Jack taught me to understand that, Scotty, oh, the more you read the Bible, the more you're going to see that the end of the story is so much better than the beginning. And the end of the story is this wonderful family taken from every race, tribe, tongue, and people group from throughout history. And they will be there because of Jesus' perfect work and his magnificent love and sacrifice. And they're going to be there and they're going to live in the very world that God first created and called good. And, and this very world, Jack taught me, is going to be the new heaven and new earth. And, uh, and, and, and Jack, long before I ever heard these words from N.T. Wright, some of you may know the name N.T. Wright, and he's, he's controversial in some circles. But Tom Wright uh, is a wonderful theologian of, of resurrection, uh, a theologian that understands that... Um, that uh, uh, a theology of hope in the Bible is this, and this is critical to our prayer life. Tom Wright would say, has said, as Jack taught me, that uh, hope, um, biblically, uh, theology of hope is learning to remember your future into the present. Amen. I love that. Isn't that a great image? Remembering the future into the present. Now, that's why tomorrow, you see, when we have the Lord's Supper in this room, uh, when we use the words of fencing the table, which really are a bridge to the table, really saying this is an awesome meal. Let's, let's make sure we're part of the family to come enjoy this meal. But um, the Bible call, when the Bible calls us to remember, that's never just data recall. A theology of remembering is to bring into the present moment the saving acts of God in their full power right here, right now. So when Jack, you know, went away early in the 70s and connected with the promises of God, Jack began, and I, these are my words, not his, but when I was around Jack, I felt like he was already smelling the oxygen of the new heaven and new earth. I felt like he was seeing the green already breaking through the barren ground of the desert. It's like his heart was so believing that what God said about the future was certain that, of course, we pray with hope. We don't pray with spin. We don't pray with hype. We pray with hope. And so uh, this, this way of really seeing the Bible as God's whole story and it's unfolding 
And it's a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not us getting the job done. It's our finding our place in the story. I mean, it's why, tell me your name again. It's a beautiful name, but you said something that reminded me of Jack. Like your friend, Jack would never uh, primarily make a list and pray later. If you were with Jack, you prayed right then. And to pray with Jack in the moment, you would pray with Jack in the moment because uh, he knew the Father so well. He knew the Father delighted to meet us in our prayer and to give us more of himself. And he also lived with the certainty, I know what my Father's up to. And, and he may not do everything on my time scale, but this is such a good Father. And, and to pray is to know him, and to pray right now is to enter in connecting with a story of hope. That takes me to the uh, last two affirmations, and then we'll see if we have any questions on the remaining time. Number four, and I love this one. Again, Jack never put it this way. I kind of summarized it looking back at Jack. But um, I learned from Jack, seeing him and listening and learning from him, uh, that prayer is about, we learn how to pray to be claimed by the promises of God rather than to claim the promises of God. Let me explain that because I I love that image. Um, the, The more the gospel of God's grace captures us, the more we come alive to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as both good theology, but also as beauty, as Jonathan Edwards saw it, as your pastor, John Yinchko, preaches with such a smile. It's a smile of God. Um, Then when we see the beauty, then we realize we're not claiming promises to convince God to do something. Those promises claim us. It's like God makes promises that claim us. And it's why I love... um, you know, the beginning of a lot of the promises of God, Genesis chapter 12 through 17, early in the story when God reveals himself to Abram and, and renames him Abraham, Abraham, God makes a series of promises that God alone can keep. Abram, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to place you in a land that you don't know. And, and, and through, you know, uh, the nation that will make of you, uh, I'm going to bless um, um, uh, all who bless the seed that comes through you will be blessed, which is the promise of the blessing. So, the most, see, the most operative word in the whole Bible is first-person pronoun I, and God is doing the talking. Uh, it, it's, it's not God writing a story, look what we're going to get done here. I mean, see, I grew up in the 60s under the pressure that, it, that it, here's the way I was first taught about Jesus. Jesus did everything he needed to do. And then he kind of dusted off his hands, went up into heaven, and left us with a job to get done. I felt even the Great Commission was a burden to get done. Can you imagine us in this room fulfilling the Great Commission? Are you kidding me? No. The Great Commission is the promise God has made to be a faithful God to redeem his family from the nations, including Long Island. He's going to do it. And we get to participate in it. And God, in his incredible wisdom, has chosen to use a praying people to bring to pass what God has determined to do. And you see, that flows out of worship. It goes back to what John said earlier about the worship culture. I referenced that last night. I think that, you know, practically speaking, some of the things that God used to grow our church were we created a worship culture where we really were free to need Jesus and love him unashamedly and out loud. And, 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 and all we were doing was entering into um, 
saying, Lord, your, your promises claim us. So when we read Philippians 1, 6, we're not convincing you that you're going to bring to completion the good work you began in us. We're, going to, we're convincing ourselves. You've begun a good work you will bring to completion. That claims me, Lord. That claims the cosmos. You've promised to make all things new through Jesus. Thank you that that claims me. And you see, the more we pray that way, we're not, we're not wrestling with God to try to get something done. Leads us to the last affirmation. Jack also modeled for me, and then I'm, I'm going to give you, by the way, right after this, my last image of the praying Jack Miller. But Jack uh, taught me and modeled for me so well, learning to pray with the freedom to accept God's big vocabulary of valid answers to prayers. Yes, no, maybe, not yet, not telling you, even silence. See, it, it, if, if you really begin to understand, as Jack taught me, that prayer is far more about knowing God and getting more of God rather than getting things from God, the freedom that's in that. We learn to pray boldly. We pray for the Lord to heal our bodies. And we, and we don't fall over ourselves over qualifying it, if it be your will, as though we're going to embarrass God, you know. Let's, let's find some out for God if he doesn't answer this the way we think we claim the verses. No, it's like, Lord, you, you tell us to come boldly to the throne of grace. We know that in light of the end of the story, every aspect of our being is going to be put right. Or as Tolkien, some of you know the great uh, English writer Tolkien, a good friend of C.S. Lewis, says, I love the way Tolkien framed the fourth panel or the end of the story. Tolkien talked about a day is coming when everything sad will become untrue. Isn't that a great image? You've got to think about that one for a minute. But when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, finishes making all things new, everything sad will become untrue. Again, it's this theme of hope. It's the theme of hope as to why I'm so excited for your church, knowing that, that you know, um, the, the labors of believers in this congregation, the labors of this congregation are not in vain. There, there's no vanity attached because you're telling God's story. You're, you're learning to know the Lord together. You're praying. You're spending more time in prayer together. You're, you're, you're seeing life not simply as the midweek prayer meeting, but you're learning to live in love doxologically. You're learning more about who God is, what God has signed on for, and we spend less time trying to get God to baptize our agenda. It was so freeing for me to learn that sometimes... I mean, see, some of you would agree with this. Could not some of you agree with me? You've lived long enough to say, Lord, thank you. You did not say yes to that thing. Oh, I can thank you now for your no or your not yet. In a way, in the middle of that thing, I could not possibly have understood. Now, we know that as parents, you think of the most bizarre or most extreme example. When you're a parent of a two-year-old or a three-year-old, and you walk upon your two or three-year-old three year old with a, either a book of matches or an ice pick, and you take it out of their hand, you know, for a moment, your child uh, thinks you're the most, you know, unloving parent in the world. You know, I'm having fun here with my ice pick and matches. And they cannot understand uh, the no and the intervention and the taking from them something they consider in their little world to be very, very important. Well, obviously, all illustrations break down, but the illustration I want to make is this, as I give you this last image of Jack, is this. Um, our Father 
has never, ever, ever, ever promised to do all things easy, but he has promised to do all things well. And you see, the more we know God through the revelation of the gospel, the more we trust in that, the more we are able uh, to say with Habakkuk, Lord, even if there are no figs on the vine, even if the cattle are not romping around in the stall, you know, by faith, you know, I will rejoice in you. And we can say that a lot better than Habakkuk because we live on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So, last image, Jack, the last time he was in my home, and I'll just summarize this as what I want to become more of and what I pray even a little bit of ekes out of some of these prayers I write on a daily basis. Last time Jack Miller was in my home, whenever Jack and Rosemary would stay in our home in Brentwood, Tennessee, they stayed in what used to be... um, Uh, a family room that we converted into a big bedroom. And so we loved to have Jack and Rosemary in our home. And I thought one morning that Jack was off on an appointment. uh, appointment. The door was closed. I was at our home. Obviously, I thought Jack had already left. And I needed to go in and retrieve something from the room. So I threw open the door, went in the room, and Jack was very much still in the house. But I'm so glad this is the last visual I have of Jack Miller in the world. Jack was in the room all by himself. He was, he was on his knees. I'll never forget. He was on his knees like this beside one of the twin beds. His hands were up in the sky. His face was down in the Bible. And I thought, what an image. Jack is all alone with the Father. He is enjoying the Father's enjoyment of him. And he's not doing it for anybody. It wasn't like I was in there and he was going to model for me, you know, hey, watch this. His lifestyle, just like you, Christine, talk about at times, you'll look over the end of the bed and your toes are cold. Where's he going to come and warm your toes? And, you know, and uh, there's Elias still praying. There's just, you know, the image I have, the last time I saw Jack before uh, the Lord took him to heaven at a young age of 67, Jack was just loving being loved of God, no doubt praying about that fourth panel when the nation's, Uh, are going to flood into the new Jerusalem. And uh, it's why he spent the better part of his life, you know, ducking bullets in Uganda and uh, going up to Hamburg, Germany and preaching in Wolfgang Weggert's Pentecostal German church. And, oh, there's a, I don't even have time to tell you that story, but I got to go preach in that church after Jack was there. But when Jack died, some of you know the story, uh, he had a heart attack in Spain. Well, actually, he didn't have a heart attack in Spain. He had a heart attack in Uganda. But he had uh, some serious heart palpitations. So uh, he went in for a checkup uh, uh, in Spain. They had a sweet little apartment in Spain, tiny little thing, but they, he and Rosemary loved Spain. When they did exploratory surgery, they opened up Jack and realized he'd been living 10 years with 40% of his heart muscle. And God had extended his life so long with such a weak heart muscle. I think probably because that 40% of Jack Miller heart muscle was filled so full of grace. It was like a supersized heart beating in anyone else's breast. But, you know, a man set free by grace, refueled with hope, aware of God's story, claimed by God's promises, loving the fellowship with his father, stunned, smitten, overwhelmed with the full extent of Jesus' love as the Holy Spirit made it more and more and more real. That's the way I want to live the rest of my life. You know, I feel like a lot of my life, I've been a stranger to that kind of freedom. 
But I tell you, these are things I learned from Jack. Some of you know his son Paul uh, wrote a wonderful book on prayer called A Praying Life. And you see the fruit of Paul growing up, of course, with his father Jack. And uh, Paul is just a wonderful man and a, a dear friend of John's as well. But brother, that's kind of what I've been learning through the years. And I feel like I'm just a babe in the words. Thank you. That was very helpful, very encouraging, very centering for us. Thoughts, comments, insights you want to add to this? Michael, we'll just do this for the sake of the recording. Um, two quick things. One is, you know, I think um, when we pray and we're focused on asking stuff for, for, for ourselves, um, you know, I, I think we sometimes miss the point that, you know, we're coming into the presence of the timeless and, and the infinite. Yes. And it's almost like I'm thinking God is just, you know, my, my Father and He's my Father in Heaven. Yeah. But when I, I, I pause just to think how profound that is, um, you know, that's when I, I just uh, I want to have a more strong relationship with, with, with God than just yes. asking for uh, things in my life. Um, but the second, just real quickly, you, you know, you mentioned a couple of things that, you know, Luther about the Bible being the cradle uh, uh, of Christ yeah. and um, the dance within the Bible mm-hmm. and the music, etc., and the, uh, the older son being a stranger to the mm-hmm. promise. And that just really just pointed me right to John uh, 5, 39, mm-hmm. I think, where Jesus says, you know, you, you search through the scriptures your whole life to seek eternal life. They're written about me, and you're not coming to me to, to have life. So and that, that really is the, the dance in, in, in the Bible. That is it, Michael. You're so right. You know what? And I wish I'd seen that sooner. I, I wish I had, and I, I'm very thankful I do now, but I wish I had been more aware of that even the word gospel was not just, as I had been taught early on, I, uh, in, in my culture, the word gospel was what Baptists do on Sunday night. They have a gospel meeting to have an altar call so people can go to heaven when they die. So the gospel is just the beginning of life in the kingdom, right? When really the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ concerns the whole story. He is the central character. He is the greater Abraham. He is the greater Noah. He is the greater Isaac. He is the greater... They all point towards him. And when we see that, oh, it focuses us, it frees us, we begin to realize that, again, the conversation about the full extent of Jesus' love goes on and on and on. I mean, I wish I could have talked last night about... um, the fourth panel as a way we relate to the extent of Jesus' love as uh, he is the spouse we always wanted. You know, um, uh, he, he, uh, no human being is ever going to fill us up. If you had seven Ninas, it would not be enough, John. And right. she's a good Nina. Right. But, uh, but, you know, just the beginning to know, wow, this story is so much more big and glorious and uh, we come alive to who Jesus is and we pray with confidence and faith. Scotty, uh, Jack often said that his favorite hymn was Charles Wesley's Arise, My Soul, Arise, Shake yes. Off Your Guilty Fears. Right. And then the next line was, "Why? Well, how could you shake off your guilty fears? The power of positive thinking, uh, dependence on your own personal disciplines, uh, the fact that you walk forward at a crusade. And uh, we put the words up. Jim just put them up. On the screen, why? How can you? How can you shake off your guilty fears? The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Absolutely. Now, see, that's the, that's 
point, one of the points that Scotty made yeah. is, is accessing now the promise. Yes. Accessing now the promise. The next line, he is certain now of the current, yes. the current ministry of Christ. Yes. The p- present ministry of Christ was for Jack was, was so liberating and powerful. My surety stands and then my name is written on his hands. Wow. Next screen, the same thing. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead before his blood atoned for every race and sprinkles now the throne of yes. grace. It yes. was a present reality. And, um, you know, next frame, next frame. Again, the, the Calvary wounds are effectual prayers pleading for me current it's the present value of the blood of christ he would always talk about always next and what do they say scotty said it last night but i wonder how many of us really dare to believe about the effect of the blood of christ do they cry forgive or do they cry out, naughty boy? What do you think the blood of Christ cries out before the Father? Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Next frame. My God is reconciled, his pardoning voice I hear. Then Jack loved to preach the doctrine of adoption as a present reality. Right. He owns me for his child. Jack only had two sermons. That's right. No matter what text, he only had two sermons. The first one was repent, and the second one was God owns you for his child. That's exactly right. I can no longer fear. With confidence, I now draw nigh. With confidence, I now draw nigh. And Father Abba, Father cry. We'll stop with that. Um, that, that is what we want our ministry here to be, Scotty, and you have just lit a fire in us. Yeah. We want our ministry to be about the present realities of the work of Christ in our lives, and we want to get on board then, with, as Bob Heppe says, with the grand cause that God has bringing the nations to understand this. So, well, I've, And I think, last thought too, that then we take a little break for our Gab Fest or whatever we call that. Mm-hmm grand gathering the um see what this did for us in franklin when we really began to see the gospel as or when we began to think there's nothing more than the gospel there's just more of the gospel it gave us a different way of relating to uh our neighbors in franklin um uh, our church became less fort god where we would come in out of the big bad cold world uh we became more a people uh where the contagion of that love and kindness uh, made us learn the names of our neighbors. And we became, you know, uh, praying for the businesses of, of downtown Franklin. And uh, because, you see, that's the kind of people Jesus makes of us. It's what prayer does. We become, uh, we become uh, known for our gentleness, our presence, our kindness. Uh, it's less us against them. Mm. No, it's God's story. And, and, and we, we really begin to... Start thinking about, okay, where throughout Long Island, Lord, are you converting your people right now? Mm. Uh, And how might you use our church 
as we pray, because you love to use the prayers of your people, Lord, to uh, remind us of your story and use us in your story, how might you use us as a church? That's why, again, um, um, known John for about 15 years plus, but the first time set foot on this property to know the story. I'm just so excited for the now and the future of your church. I just have this. I mean, I get to do a lot of cool things speaking around the country and other places now. For some reason, this little weekend has been on my calendar with anticipation. And I already said, I hope y'all can smell the sweetness of what the Lord's doing here. I hope y'all can appreciate the diversity of life that's here. I'm just very excited for you. Well, at the beginning, it was not an official tally, but I think we asked Nancy Young if she would lead us in prayer to close this section. And if if some of these realities would just seep deep into our hearts as a church family. So, Nancy, I'm going to give you the microphone so people who are live streaming with us could participate. But if you would just lead us in prayer and ask the Father's heart to be present and real in our church life, we would so appreciate that. Father, you are so magnificent and so awesome and so loving. Lord, we cannot even comprehend the depth and the breadth and the height of your love. But Lord, we are catching a little bit of it here and now, a little more of it. Father, we thank you for what your son did on that cross, a love that is so incomprehensible, Lord. It is so deep. Father, during this week, Would you just open our spiritual eyes through the power of your spirit to understand how much you love us, how much, as Scotty said, you are calling us to enjoy you, and how much you enjoy us. That is an incredible thought, Lord. You rejoice over us. You died for us, Father. Jesus, when you died on that cross, you died so that we could be reconciled back to you, that we could be your sons, your daughters, and brothers with Jesus Christ. How magnificent is that? Help us to understand that in such a great way, Father, in a deep way, that that impacts everything that we think and that we say and we do that it takes our perspective, Lord, and gives us that gospel sanity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Lord, we thank you for what you will do yes. this weekend yes. and what you will do in our lives yes, until you come. Yes. Amen. 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 Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. Now, we're going to have a bit of a break and then come back for our Gab Fest. Now, what the Gab Fest is, is a time when you 